0: A man sought medical attention because he had popped eyes and ringing in the ears. A doctor looked him over and suggested that he have his tonsils removed. And uh, that's what he did, Uh, but to no avail. He went to a second doctor, and that doctor suggested having his teeth extracted. The painful procedure was done, but still no medical relief this frustrated suffering man went to a third doctor who told him frankly you have only 6 months to live the man went home regrouped thought about it and said well i'm going to live it up he went out and he purchased a flashy car and then hired a chauffeur he also went out and bought 30 awesome suits and hired a tailor so that even his shirts could be made to order. The tailor comes over, measures his sleeve length 34, goes around to collar and said 16. The man said, no, 15 collar. The shirt maker measured again and said 16. The man was rather frustrated and said, I've worn a 15 collar all my life. Listen, said the shirt maker. I'm warning you, you keep on wearing a 15 collar and your eyes will pop and you'll have ringing in the ears. Ah, The moral of the story is that you need to get the right prescription from the right person. Jesus is going to give us the right prescription for being a good shepherd. He's going to give us three principles on being a good shepherd. John chapter 10, would you turn there? And I'll read beginning in verse 11. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Therefore there was a division Again, among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes as I lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the life of the good shepherd. The one who lays down his life, for the sheep, the one who has redeemed us, the one who loves us so very much. Father, I pray that we would absorb these three principles today about being a good shepherd so we can imitate the great shepherd of our soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray in his name, amen. Here is our first principle of three for today good shepherds willingly, notice that word willingly, lay down their lives for the sheep. That's what we have in verses 11 through 13. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, This is the fourth significant I am statement. Hago a me. And if you recall, and we've looked at this several times, but it's important to understand the background, it goes back to Exodus chapter three in verses 13 and 14. And there the Lord reveals to Moses, I am who I am. And three times that key verb, haya, is used in Exodus three fourteen, revealing that God is eternal. He has always existed. And Jesus claims equality with God. The Father. We began back in John 6 and verse 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He is the sustainer of the soul. He gives us eternal life and takes care of all of our needs. John 6 35. And then you had the woman who was brought to the Lord Jesus in physical darkness because Jesus had gone to the temple to teach while it was still very early in the morning. But yet she was in spiritual darkness, caught in adultery. And as she comes to faith in Christ, Jesus gives us the second I am statement in John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And we transitioned over to John chapter 10 for the third I am statement. Uh, Twice we are told down in verse 7 and verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If you recall, in the sheepfold, it would be the shepherd who could lie on the threshold. Therefore, only through the shepherd could you have access to the sheep. He's our protector. He's the one who brings us to God. Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. As now we come to our fourth I am statement. He's the good shepherd. And don't forget, there is a contrast that is going on in our passage. Uh, last week we reviewed uh, John chapter 9, 40 and 41. Would you look there with me please? Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Remember this is the account of Jesus giving sight to the blind man. And the Pharisees want to find out more about Jesus and are not pleased with the response of the blind man. Jesus said to them, this is the Pharisees, verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. They were cloaked in self-righteousness and remained in darkness. So when we learn that Jesus is the door, and that he is the good shepherd. He is a contrast to the Pharisees that we learn about from John chapter 9. So to understand the nature of a shepherd, uh, let us begin with 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter was a privileged man. Peter, James, and John often were called into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when the other nine were not. They observed wonderful things like the transfiguration in Matthew 17. Here in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Peter speaks about the elders. Uh, The term here for elder uh, has a Jewish origin. It speaks about both age and then also office speaking about the Jewish leaders in the Old Testament here a term used for the pastor the New Testament elder the elders who are among you I exhort I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker to glory that will be revealed and here's the command in verse 2 shepherd the flock of God which is among you shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Do you recall in John chapter 21, Jesus confronts Peter, who had denied him three times publicly. And three questions Jesus asks of Peter to humble him, to restore him publicly. And you remember the emphasis of our Lord to Peter? Feed the sheep, tend the flock, feed those entrusted to you. And here now Peter, an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ, says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Remember that word willingly? It appears in our first point today. You are to have the attitude of a volunteer when it comes to caring for the sheep. And he goes on to say, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Be ready And willing. That's the concept of the word eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. You're not to hammer the people into submission. Uh, You are not to be like the Gentile leaders who suppress the people underneath them. Don't be lords over those entrusted to you. And here's the contrast. But being examples of... To the flock. Be good shepherds. Lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Care for them because you want to meet their needs and not fleece the flock. And the reward comes. Notice in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, a reference to Jesus Christ, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Come back with me, please, to... John chapter 10 and shepherds take heart that there will come an eternal reward for those who have served Christ well by caring for the sheep. So Jesus in verse 11, he's the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Don't miss this statement that is so important and prevalent in what Jesus is communicating he gives his life for the sheep let me show you how often this theme comes up john chapter 10 let your eyes come down to verse 15 as the father knows me even so i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep john 10:17 Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. You see all the references here? Now one more, John chapter 15, flip over there with me. John chapter 15, and come over to verse... 13, this really states it well about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sheep. John fifteen thirteen. greater love has, present tense verb, continuous action in present time. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. If you're going to be a good shepherd caring for the flock, then you must be an individual that is sacrificial. Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, in the section that introduces the kenosis, the emptying out of Christ, and we'll deal with that more at the end of the sermon. But listen to Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also for the interest of others. In the book of Philippians it's Christ first. That's Philippians 1:21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in others second, and that's what we have in Philippians chapter 2. So we have the good shepherd But now we have a contrast in John 10 in verse 12 about the hireling, that sounds like the Pharisees to me, who leaves the sheep. He's not committed to the sheep. Why? Because he's nothing more than a hireling. He's in it for the pay. Uh, By way of analogy, I'd like to take you back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Perhaps this is one of the better known uh, passages in the entire Old Testament. It's David defeating Goliath. But I want you to think about David's background. David uh, is caring for the flock of his father, Jesse. He has a vested interest. The father had entrusted David with the flock. And think about it. Is not not what God had done? He sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And who's the Lord Jesus? He's the good shepherd. Now, we have David standing before Saul trying to convince the king that he is the right man to go out and defeat the nine-foot, nine-inch Goliath. And picking it up in verse 34, thinking about how courageous David had been. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered a lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Consider this. Our Lord Jesus, he's not a hireling. He's not in it for the pay. He's committed uh, in the Old Testament, we learn this story. But what happened in time? You had all these oral traditions being passed down and codified into the Talmud, around eighty two hundred, 200. And within the Talmud is the Mishnah. Uh, if you will, what happened uh, with the Jewish religious leaders, they took the oral traditions and elevated them to equal the Scripture. But from the Mishnah was a law for a shepherd. If one wolf attacked the flock, he must defend the sheep. But if there are two wolves who attack the flock, uh, then you are not to be blamed. It's very interesting that the Lord lays down his life unconditionally. He defends us, if you will, by giving himself as a sacrifice. In contrast, in verse 13, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He's paid. He doesn't care when the sheep's the sheep lives are in danger. What does he do? He just runs because he is a hireling. So our first point, good shepherds. Willingly lay down their lives for the sheep. Now, number two, good shepherds know their sheep. Good shepherds know their sheep. For the second time, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The statement of deity. But I want to draw your attention this time to the word good, the adjective, kalos. Uh, We have prominently two words in the New Testament, both adjectives. Agathos, which at times means being benevolent. And then this word here, kalos, which is used of moral excellence when there is a distinction made in the two. When Jesus here is saying, I am the good shepherd, he is saying he is the morally excellent shepherd. But he's also... Benevolent. Uh, In Psalm 119, verse 68, perhaps a, a verse that brings these two concepts together. It says, I am good and I do good. That's what the Lord says. I am good and I do good. He's morally excellent. And as a result of that morally excellent makeup, his character, he does good. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. How do we know this? Go back to John chapter 10 in verse 3. In John 10 in verse 3, it says, To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows them intimately and they trust him to the extent that they follow him. Now over to John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It takes time for a shepherd to know the nature of his sheep. Our Lord Jesus knows us thoroughly. He was instrumental in our creation and in our salvation, our recreation. He knows us ever so well, but he took time to know the sheep. He spent time with the twelve. John 13 tells us that he loved those that were given to him to the utmost, to the end. In essence, he loved them with everything that he had. So he knows his sheep, but then is also known by my own. That's the second half of verse 14. How do we know that they know him well? Very simply stated, they follow That's John 10.4 and then again down in verse 27. John is a uh, fabulous gospel. I think we could spend a lifetime in John's gospel together. So many rich theological themes just throughout this inspired book. Now down in verse 15 are words that we could just read quickly and pass over and miss the richness of what is being stated. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. Where it says here, the Father knows is from gnosko. It's a present tense verb. The Father continually knows the Son, Jesus Christ. Even so, I know the Father. Notice the mutual relationship. The model of intimacy between Father and Son becomes the model that we should express as well from the Son to us. Not only does He know us, but we know Him. And from this relationship comes the desire to care for the sheep. To what extent and I lay down my life for the sheep? Uh, observe this, he says, "I lay it down back in John ten eleven He used the third person, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You see the difference there? He was speaking in the third person that that 's what the good shepherd he does, but now Jesus makes it really clear, very personal. I lay down my life for the sheep. He's unlike other shepherds that would run, the hirelings. He gave us everything he had. He gave us his own life. And he did this unlike any other shepherd so that we could have the gift of eternal life. Isn't that precious? So number one, good shepherds willingly lay down their lives for the sheep. Number two, Good shepherds know their sheep. And number three, good shepherds want to increase their folds. Good shepherds want to increase their folds. Down to verse 16 with me. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. A reference to the Gentiles who would later be brought into that one body known as the church. Let's briefly take a look at this. Over to the book of Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is addressing the mystery of the church, a sacred secret that was once hid but is now revealed. The church is not in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says in the future tense, I will build my church. Paul now addresses the awesomeness of what the Almighty has done through the death of Jesus Christ. Come down to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, see the word you? I'm speaking to the Gentiles. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Gentiles were the outsiders looking in, but now are brought near. Verse 14, how did this occur? For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Down in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you. Now, notice the word here, he. It's uh, capital H, speaking about the Lord. He came and preached peace to you, you Gentiles. How did he do that? Well, through his apostles, through his prophets, because today we speak for the Lord. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those, see the Jews, who were near. Now in verse 18, this is beautiful. For through him, through Christ, we both have access by one spirit, to the Father, so our Lord Jesus Christ has made a way that the flock would be increased. How? Because He not only had reached out to His own, the Jewish people, who ultimately rejected Him, did they not? John one eleven. But then to the Gentiles, and as a result of that, today we have one body, the Church. You and I have been entrusted with the Great Commission. Why? Because the Lord wants to add to his fold. He has tagged you and me in order to accomplish this great mission. In Matthew 28, uh, we are told to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How can we accomplish the impossible? It's through the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus had told His disciples to wait patiently until the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God would come and indwell them. They would be baptized with the Spirit of God, which means they would be identified in the body of Christ. They would be given a supernatural ability through the indwelling Spirit to communicate Christ. This is what we are called to do today. To increase the fold. This is our mission. This is our task. It was Jesus's. In Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And now it is our mission today and Jesus was obedient and this is why he says in John ten seventeen. therefore my father loves me dia tuta literally for this reason and he's speaking about the next statement because I lay down my life that's his crucifixion and think about what this means here in order to bring the Gentiles even to the fold and for you and me to be saved he had to lay down his life but was more than that that I may take it again. No one, dear friend, took Christ's life from him. He offered it. It was a sacrifice. In verse 18, no one takes it from me. And here's the contrast. But I lay it down of myself. That is exactly what Jesus did. In Matthew 27 and verse 50, Matthew records Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit and then a statement of the deity the divinity of christ i have power to lay it down and i have power to take it again yes jesus willingly gave his life but he was instrumental in bringing himself back to life this is what he has done. And then he goes on to say this command I have received from my father. Briefly, let's look at Titus chapter 1. To talk about the inner plan. There is a plan within the Trinity to save the world. Titus chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul is a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life and here is the mission. In hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Before we had History as we know it. Before we had the clicking of the second hand on the clock. Before we had a calendar to show us about time and dates. Before all of that, there was a promise made within the Trinity. And notice here a promise about eternal life. How did this get manifested? Verse 3 but has in due times at the right season manifested to reveal his word through preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our savior jesus was obedient to this promise when the father son holy spirit gathered together in eternity past the plan was made and jesus has willingly offered himself as the sacrifice. And then back in John 10, the debate continues about who Jesus Christ is. But these things are written, and you have to remember this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Let me just uh, bring this to a close by giving us some employment thoughts, some application thoughts, if you will. Uh, Number one, you should imitate the good shepherd by placing the needs of those sheep entrusted to you before your own. Isn't that what Jesus did? He placed others ahead of himself. That's what good shepherds do. They think more of the flock than they do of themselves. Our Lord Jesus was such an excellent example of this and the ultimate example of of this, I've turned to Philippians 2. Let me just read this to you. You don't need to turn there. Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Jesus came as a slave. And coming in the likeness of men, the Father. We need to imitate Christ and the remaining sections in Philippians chapter 2 talk about those who did. Men who gave up their lives, if you will, for the sheep, like Paul who was poured out as a drink offering in Timothy and Epaphroditus who had a near-death experience in order to minister to the saints. They're all good shepherds, but they were imitating the ultimate Good shepherd. Second of all, you should imitate the good shepherd by aspiring to know the sheep you are shepherding. That takes time. Jesus' plan to change the world came as a result of spending time with 12 men prayed all night, the only time in the New Testament we have recorded that there was an all-night prayer meeting is when Jesus chose the 12. And yes, one would be a traitor. But even out of the twelve. He specialized on three. He worked really hard to give even more individual attention to Peter, James, and John. And he took them to special places like the Mount of Transfiguration or when someone was raised from the dead, when the other nine did not get to go with him. You've got to spend time with the sheep. They need to know that you love them and you need to really understand them. And what was the model for this? their eternal relationship between Father and Son. They know each other well. They have spent an eternity together. The reason the Father dispatches the Son, according to John 1, is that we might know the nature of God. But those two had spent perfect time together in harmony. An amazing thing, and of course, the Holy Spirit as well. So we need to know The sheep. And we do this by imitating what our Lord Jesus did with his own disciples. And then, number three, and this is the evangelistic thrust you should imitate the good shepherd by aspiring to win the loss to Christ to increase his fold. We will get to enjoy the Lord forever and ever and ever in heaven. We'll get to worship him, we'll get to fellowship with the saints, but there's one thing that won't happen in heaven evangelism. We are only granted one life in order to evangelize. Jesus understood this. He had his 12 focused upon 3 in particular and turned the world upside down through that relationship with them, but he evangelized. We need to do the same. We need to make disciples. We need to target our locality where we are currently at, but then also to see how we can have a worldwide emphasis. That was the battle plan laid out in Acts 1.8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost part of the earth. May that be true of us, and may we not be content in this life with not having people saved. We've got to invest in eternity, and that's by imitating the heart of the good shepherd and doing everything possible to increase his fold. Let's do that. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. What a a beautiful passage in John 10. We thank you about the life of the good shepherd and the intimacy that he enjoyed with the Father. Thank you as well that this becomes the pattern And as we know you and walk with you, you energize us and you work in behalf of the one who waits on you. And I pray that we would stay in your presence and be energized by you and then go out and be good shepherds that we would imitate the characteristics of that great shepherd of our soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to love those entrusted to us with everything that we have, as your son did. Help us to train them to evangelize. And then, Father, I pray that when all is said and done, and one day we stand before you as those shepherds receive a crown of glory that does not fade away, may we experience that reward. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.